0: So maybe you've heard the statistic that two out of every five pastors in America are thinking about quitting ministry altogether. We were at a recent conference and we did an informal poll of Christian therapists and we asked them, what's the number one reason that a pastor leaves ministry? Can you guess what it was?
1: Well, it was burnout. Yeah, and you know, being a pastor is hard enough. It's a if it's, it's a difficult job, um, but if you've been a pastor in the last few years through the cope through COVID and the pandemic, then odds are, to some degree, you are probably struggling with burnout in your own heart. Being in ministry.
0: Yeah. Uh, today's podcast episode, we talked to Jonathan Malm, co writer of a book called "Don't Burn Out, Burn Bright," and he's looking at where are the areas that we can burn out? What are the things that are going to contribute? Are you burned out or are you just depressed? Is there a difference? And then what do we do with that so that we don't burn out and we actually burn bright? So if you are at that place where you're just, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. This is hard. If you find yourself waking up in the morning and you're not as driven, you're not as bubbly as you once were, um, you might have needed a better night of sleep, but you also might be teetering the edge of burnout. Sit back, listen, and take this episode in, Jonathan Malm. Hey, welcome to the Life After Ministry podcast. My name is Matt Davis, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Lee. Hello. There we go. And we're here with uh, a wonderful guy named Jonathan Malm. Jonathan, hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, we're, we're, no, it's good. I like, we like loud. Uh, we're just talking about how you're an extrovert too. So you got to just jump in there and and be yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. where in the world are you right now in this very moment? I am in the guest bedroom of my house. Uh, but I live in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I've lived here for,
2: I think 13 years now. No, not 13 years. That's not right. I've been married 13 years. I've lived here for maybe 10 years. Uh, I have a toddler and he's so much fun. And uh, yeah, he's at daycare right now, but uh, I have a wife and yeah,
0: just love my My life here. Now you wrote a book, Don't Burn Out, Burn Bright. And we had somebody on uh, our social media that reached out to us privately and said, I just read this book. You have to meet this guy. You have to have him on your podcast. And then I reached out to you and lo and behold, you answered. We had a conversation and it was great. And I said, you know what? What's interesting is uh, somebody reached out to to us and let us know about you. When we were at the American Association of Christian Counselors, and while we were there, we took a, a poll, and we asked Christian counselors, what is the number one reason that pastors come out of ministry? And the number one answer, 82%, was burnout. Burnout. How does burnout yeah. enter into the life of somebody in ministry? Yeah. I mean, it's it's— the thing that's frustrating
2: is all I post a lot on Instagram. I post silly videos, but some of them have a little it's bit of heart and a little bit dude. of depth. And thanks, yeah. Well, in the uh, in the lead up to this book, I was posting a lot of videos about burnout, and um, I would I kept getting these comments saying that either burnout doesn't exist, or the only reason people burn out is because they're not you know fully in love with Jesus and they're not really engaging with their relationship with Him or that they're are they not called in the ministry? And if you're if you're acting within your calling, you'll never burn out. And that unfortunately is such a prevalent myth in the church nowadays. We think that surely God wouldn't put us in a situation where we could burn out. And there's truth to that. Like there's truth to like God caring about our souls and God putting us in places that He can give us peace in the middle of it. But the problem is we work with imperfect people we're not only working for god we're working for people and people processes uh just the nature of our own hearts it, it can lead to burnout pretty easily if we're not careful if we don't look for the warning signs if we don't put things in proper places in our lives and in our ministry how do, how do it we can definitely lead to burnout avoid that?
0: i mean obviously that is that that's the number one question but like maybe some <laughs> yeah. of the early exciting signs of like what 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 are is there a scan I can do of my life, my body, my my surroundings to know like this is an early like warning light that I should be paying attention to.
2: Yeah, so in, in the book we talk about some things like, you know, becoming more short with your family or your spouse, um, no longer caring about people, which you get into ministry because you care for people, but when you find you just can't muster up the energy to care about what they're going through, or you're even hating people, that's that's an indication. Um, another thing is, it's this idea of no longer being brilliant at the basics—the things that, man, you're a rock star at these things normally, and now you're just struggling to do the things that used to be easy for you. Uh, no longer wanting to try new things, uh, which is frequently an issue people deal with when they're dealing with burnout. But there's there are a few things that we just need to be aware that, like, we're heading down a, a path. You know, I think of I think of burnout a lot you know, this is not a psychological comparison. So, I mean, not from a counselor. A counselor would probably maybe not say this because it's not scientifically proven, but I think of depression. I can be depressed. I'm depressed. I'll go for a walk. I'll eat a meal. I'll, you know, do a few simple things to get out of that depression. But if I am going through depression, a clinical cyclical thing yeah, taking a walk, um, eating a meal, you know, these simple things that can get us out of a simple depression don't work whenever you're dealing with depression. I'd say the same is true for burnout. You know, you can you can feel burnt out. You can be situationally burnt out and you need a rest, you need to recover. But if you're dealing with a cycle of burnout, it's not as simple as just, you know, taking a nap or taking two days off. Like it's, it's something that you can find yourself really getting into a cycle of. And unfortunately, the road that took you there was a long road. So the road to get out of that is a long road, too. So hopefully you can be aware before you get into that cycle uh, and and put things in order to to avoid getting there.
1: What do you see are some of the dynamics at play in the modern day church that's contributing towards burnout in pastors? Because, I mean, it's a huge prevalent problem. So is there, yeah. are there some common denominators in churches or ministries that you, that you see?
2: Yeah. I mean, so one of the things we talk about in the book, so there's sort of 10 pillars of health that we talk about in the book and, and certain ones tend to be weaknesses for certain people. So, but what's really common right now is boundaries, an issue of boundaries. And that's something I hear a lot about is that people feel like they can't set boundaries. and. The problem is you have Jesus talking in scripture. You have him telling the story of the good Samaritan, you know, help your neighbor, like help anyone who needs help. Right? Like that's, that's constantly in the new Testament, the idea of even in the old Testament of, of just, if someone needs your help, help them. And that worked in a society where you were surrounded by 200 people at most um, someone that was physically in your presence needed help and you would help them. Unfortunately, now we have, 5 to 10,000 people with constant access to us through email, through social media, uh through phone calls, through text messages. And the burden of what people are asking for from us is is so much greater than it was. Yes, we still need to be sacrificial with our giving, with our love, with our generosity. But we also need to learn how to set loving boundaries. Not to keep people out, but to instead create a gate that lets people come in at the appropriate times and through the appropriate ways so that we can help them. So that's one of the things that I think is really hard is, you know, I'm uh maybe I work in a church and I I'm a graphic designer. I'm, you know, not necessarily a pastoral role, but I'm supporting the role of what pastor does. And pastor needs a graphic on Saturday, which would normally be my day off before Sunday. And of course, you know, pastor's busy during the week. It's not like he's just being lazy and not thinking about this, but he's like, Oh no, suddenly I I need this graphic. And now because of that lack of preparation or because of that inability to prepare, I'm having to work on my day off. And we can get into cycles like this where we get an email at 7 PM or we get a text message on Saturday or on Sunday morning, right before service that creates these emergencies and creates these inabilities to set boundaries that can help create healthy rhythms for us. So what? That's what that's one I think is probably the most common I think nowadays in churches. That makes
0: sense. What what prompted you and uh your co-author to write book like did you burn out or did you just see it so much that you just said like we got to do something about this?
2: Yeah, I consider myself a success case. Um I was a we talked about this before we jumped on the podcast. I was a missionary kid, um, also a pastor's kid. I worked on staff at a church, at a growing church that was Growing from, I think when I came on staff it was 100 people. When I left staff it was around 800 people. We were getting into a building. It was, you know, kind of the megachurch movement of like, let's grow fast, let's go fast. And I survived, and I didn't burn out, and I, I don't know if I just got out at the right time or if I was. I do think that I had some, some of these things intentionally in place, but, uh, from the book, that's what I'm gesturing to off screen. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so I did survive. And then my co-writer Jason, he survived as well, but we've seen so many of our friends in ministry, especially, especially during COVID COVID was really the thing that like, Oh, you saw so many friends, you know, maybe they weathered the year, of, you know, restrictions and everyone in their congregation being mad, no matter what decision they made. Um, we saw so many people maybe get through that year, but then burn out at the end of it. You know, they, they, they survived, but then they lost all their passion. And am like, I can't maintain ministry after that. So we saw so many friends going through that and we wanted to address it. Um, my co-writer, his wife is a clinical counselor. He does a lot of, um, consulting and speaking a lot of places. I do a lot of consulting and speaking a lot of places. So we saw this issue that was becoming so prevalent. And so it had always been an issue, but it just a spotlight was put on it during COVID and we wanted to address it. And not just to, you know, we didn't want to write another book. There are some great books about how to get out of burnout. Mostly you probably need to see a counselor because uh, there's a lot of things that need to be rewired and unpacked, but we wanted to hopefully get on the front end of that and say, you know, Burnout isn't inevitable. You don't have to you don't have to wait for the car to break down to fix it. You can actually tune it up and change the oil and 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 tweak things before things become a problem and keep it running strong.
0: So I talked to somebody yesterday who has been in ministry for 26 years, uh, co-founded a church, and we were talking, having a conversation because he's he's at the end. He said like I just I need to be done. What we're looking at in the world of pastoral transitions and life after ministry, is people who are at that spot. And, you know, I, I realized because I was in ministry that I could burn myself out and I could go too fast. And now that I'm not in ministry, uh, it, it's the same problem. I used to blame it on the church, but I, I, I'm the problem, I think, most of the time. But how do you actually, like, for some people, they might need to get out of ministry and, and to reset a, a lot of things. But to that person who is in it right now, who's on the edge and just my morning pastor, like, I need to get out of this. What do you, what do you say to them to just give them some hope or here's, here's what you should be thinking about next. There's, there's this thing that happens when we feel trapped and that's, I think so often
2: what we feel. I was talking to a pastor friend the other day and he is a pastor of um, a small church. They're kind of independent. They're in like this downtown cool area of town. He's like, he's like this like motorcycle guy. Like he loves motorcycles. Anyways, very cool guy. He has a really cool beard, and he was talking about how he was about to just give up. He's like, "I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. Um, I feel trapped. I feel like I have to do this certain thing." And he was talking to this well-known pastor, and the pastor said, "You know, uh, what would you do if you didn't have to like, like what would you do if you didn't have to do the things you ha- think you have to do? In other words, like, like you don't have to be a full-time pastor. You don't have to." do all the things that you're supposed to do as a, as a, as a young church or as a church plant. And he rewired what he did in ministry. He is now bi-vocational where he's previously just a full-time pastor. Now he runs like a motorcycle shop and he does pastoring as well. And it was interesting to see that he just, he realized I'm not trapped here. Like I don't have to do things a certain way. I don't have to be a full-time pastor. I don't have to run my church a certain way. And I think also along those lines, and it was just really cool to see that, but along those lines, I think a lot of people feel a calling to ministry and they think that must mean I need to work at a church. We're all called to ministry. And I can minister working at a church. I can minister running my businesses that help churches. I can minister... My pastor always talks about how he worked in a restaurant and he was a pastor for these employees that he managed uh, when he was working at a restaurant. Like We can be pastors in many different capacities. So... The idea that you're not trapped in ministry sometimes is enough to free you up to say, okay, I I don't have to be here if I don't want to be. Do I want to be here? Do I feel like God is calling me to this particular place? Uh, yes, he's called me to be a pastor, but it doesn't necessarily mean I need to be right here. So sometimes that means, yeah, I just I don't like working for a church and that's okay. Or sometimes it means, you know, maybe I just need to try things a little differently and, and not do the things that everyone expects me that I should be doing but instead do them the way that I feel like God's calling me to do them.
1: I think that's such a good perspective because I think it um I'm sure that there are probably people even listening to this right now who feel like they're on the precipice of leaving ministry because they're feeling burnt out, but it's almost like there's this other element of discernment that's needed is am I is God really calling me out of vocational ministry or is this a call to stop and assess the way that I'm doing ministry and maybe pivot and extend that that ministry that you're currently doing in a different direction versus you know a complete 360 turn somewhere else.
2: Yeah. I, I just hear it so often that people say, I feel like I'm burnt out, but I can't leave my job. And I I'm like, why why couldn't you like what why can't you leave your job? Like it's we get into this uh trapped mindset and we can't see beyond it. And that's I mean that's so often what happens with anxiety, with depression, with all of these things is we get so laser focused in this in this small world and sometimes it just helps if you have someone on the outside say well and that's why that's the value of counseling frankly are is it really that way like are you really trapped there can you not leave the church can you not work somewhere else and it's so helpful to just break through that kind of mental block
0: i think fear keeps us there right and there's a there's a video, and I used to actually take my my staff through this every year, just as a heart check of where we're at. But um, it's called caged, comfortable, or charged. And talking about you know sometimes in ministry, if you've been there a long time, you're just kind of comfortable. You're just you're you're floating, and charge is like gung ho, ready to go. But I, we find a lot of people who are at, at that point of that that precipice of burning out or they just kind of given up. They're caged. And mm-hmm. when you're caged, either you've put those walls up yourself or somebody else, you've allowed them to put them up around you. And the only way that you're going to get out of that cage is you're waiting for some force to come in and knock it down or you're going to have to open the door and get out yourself. And I, I yeah. think that that trapped feeling um, really keeps us from – we have no options and this is an impossible situation I can't get out of.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny because um we feel trapped and we feel stuck and I can't leave ministry. I can't leave ministry, I can't leave ministry. And then either we have a moral failure where it just <clears throat> we're blown up and we're violently forced out of it, or we just burn out and we lose our faith and then we leave the ministry. Like regardless, you can leave the ministry, but are you gonna leave it in a healthy way? Or are you gonna leave it forcefully and violently? <laughs> Uh, because it's going to happen one way or another if, if we don't take steps to, to, to be healthy on the way out. I would much rather, you know, I think there's a lot there's of a lot of, um, a lot of uh, cultural value placed on going out in a blaze of glory. Like, Oh, I'm going to just like blow up everything. And I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily what is taught in scripture so much. A lot of it is just make it a point to live a quiet life, to, uh, to love others,
0: to, yeah, just to like let's take the easier path out. As as a son of missionaries and pastors who are no longer missionaries and pastors, what was their transition like coming out of those ministry seasons uh for you uh, as a kid watching that all go down? Yeah. So my
2: my parents are technically I guess still missionaries because the cool thing about the missions agency they run is uh they it's um it's all self-funded like uh, every everyone except for I think the accountant raises their own money to work on staff at this missions organization. So it's really interesting. I've seen, yeah, it, it's just been, it's been kind of seamless transitions. I feel like my dad is always called in to be sort of a, uh, a peacemaker and a, a, a different perspective in the situation. I've seen him brought into a church that was the church where I started working. When we got there, it was 75 people. They, they had previously before the massive church split, purchased a large piece of property to build on. Um, so they were a million dollars into debt. The current property was way too big for 75 people and was running down because nobody took care of it because they were planning on getting to the next building. Uh, there was a lawsuit pending. It was just a lot of chaos and that's where my dad was invited to say, Hey, would you pastor this mm-hmm. church? Uh, and he brought, he brought me and my mom, uh, to Corpus Christi, Texas. And we, we, just got in it. Right. And it was interesting because my dad, he was, he was, he was very good about not feeling trapped and he never felt, he never made us feel trapped. So he said, you know, I'm going to pastor here, but I'm also going to still run this missions agency that he was running. Um, if my wife doesn't want to come to church here, she doesn't have to. Um, my son doesn't need to be, I think my first, my first summer there I was, I was in youth and I went to, to youth camp with youth and my, I think my dad wasn't even the pastor yet. And some kids in the camp, in the dorm were like dyeing their hair blue. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. I'm like, is it, is it, is it temporary? They're like, yeah, it washed out after like two washes. So I did it and then it didn't wash out after two washes. So I come home from camp with blue hair and my dad who wasn't yet, you know, voted in as pastor, he could have been so embarrassed by me, like, oh, my rebellious son, but he wasn't trapped and he didn't feel like he had to prove anything. He's like, I don't need this. So he was like, oh, that's funny. Like, your hair's blue. That's oops, dumb mistake, but whatever. He he, he didn't get mad at me. He didn't like my mom either. Like, neither of them got mad at me. And it was just so interesting to see that dynamic because I've seen so many pastors get embarrassed by their kids or, you know, their kids do something that kind of puts a mark on them. And my dad never felt trapped like that. And it was really cool to see that. I, I feel like my dad in ministry, he's never... It was never his identity. He's like, okay, God, if you're calling me, I'll do it, but I'm not going to try to hold on to it very, very hard. Like he was always really holding everything God gave, gave him very lightly, and it's just been interesting to see in those transitions. It was never, it was never something was wrestled away from him. He was always gladly to give, glad to give it up.
0: It makes me think of uh, I heard a lady talk about. When you go to like the grocery store and your kid is – your toddler is like, I want that and I want this and you know, they're all over the place and and then you don't give it to them and then they throw a fit. You you are the, the father of a toddler. so Oh,
2: I'm a toddler. I'm a
0: toddler owner. Yeah. Take a note on it because <laughs> we've been there too. Like we even have a video of our daughter like, I want that one. I want that one and just screaming in the
1: store. It's one of my favorite Instagram posts.
0: Yeah. But oh, it's <laughs> – the, the parents often leave in shame because their kid is having a bad day. And I remember this lady just saying, well, that's not my issue. They would walk around. There's kids still throwing up. They're like, looks like somebody's having a bad day. And then just kind of keep going through. And there's a resilience to that. But I think that we, we need a re- resilience. What do you do, though? Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I feel like hearing your story, it sounds like the opposite, honestly, of stories I've heard, especially of missionary families um, where – It seems like the well-being of the family, of the child, you know, was sacrificed for the good of the ministry. And I think we see, you know, Mm -hmm. years down the road, the harm that that causes to the next generation of people coming up. But it's like your dad has been able to find security and balance. I don't know. Is that what I mean? Here you are, a missionary kid, and you still love the church. You still love people. You have a passionate heart for for the church, and I just—it seems like it's so much these days. Not that, and so—is there anything else yeah. you can specifically point to that your family did to impo- impo- impart? Impart—that's the word. Yeah, yeah, not impose, impart. That's not nice, but
2: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think about this a lot because I have friends who are pastors and seeing their kids navigating this stuff. I do think there's a there's a, a grace that me and I mean all of my siblings. I have two other siblings. They're missionary kids, pastors kids. Um, my experience as a pastor kid, they had an even worse experience as pastor kids. I don't really remember that season of our life. But before we went to Guatemala, it was, you know, a church plant in rural uh, Texas and it was a much messier situation. And they, they still love Jesus and still love the church, which is really cool. So three for three, that's a that's pretty great. That's pretty great batting average uh for my for my parents. But I think you know, some some key things they did were they were not different people on stage than they were at home. And that was really interesting to me. I never felt like I never felt like my dad was putting on an act ever. Um he's like it's funny, my my wife says that like there's like there's Billy Graham and then Rick Malm, my dad. Like he's like above Billy Graham, like he's like the saint in her mind. But he was he's just very he was very humble also. I remember a few times, you know, we had talks with him that he does this thing when he gets angry, that he like scratches his head and he can see this look in his eyes. And he took us out to, to dinner, all of the kids and said, okay, can you tell me what I do? Like he humbled himself enough to, to hear us out and try to work on that, which was really interesting. He just, he never was afraid and he's still alive. So he's still this way. He's never afraid of looking like a fool or being disrespected or like his respect was always earned. Like I respect him so much to this day because I feel like he earned it. He, he, and it's it's interesting is there's this counterintuitive thing that happens when you're humble. You actually, when you admit your mistakes, you actually get more respect, which is such a counterintuitive thing. um, But it's so true. So showing humility, willing to not be perceived as perfect is actually one of the best things you can do as a leader, both as a father and as a pastor. Uh, So I, I think I would, yeah. I, th- I think I would put it down to those things. Um, but you know, there's also a, a grace element where I've seen kids that who, whose parents I believe did the exact same thing and they just went wacky and it's just, you know, it's like, there's a lot of shame that you can be put on like, Oh, I must've failed as a, as a father if my kids are no longer serving God. So I, I don't want to add like a shame element there. Cause you feel like I did all that stuff and I still lost my kids to, you know, the church or to God. Um, so there's definitely a grace element that it's kind of a luck thing I think for sure.
0: Yeah, if you can look at your kids, great, great parents are, are able to be authentic and vulnerable at the same time, age appropriately, but to look at your kid struggles with anger and has a temper tantrum to be able to say, I can see that you're angry right now and let me show you how I've worked through that own anger that you actually get that
1: from me. Yeah. You get that from me.
0: It's, it's one of the things I wish I didn't hand down, but you've probably seen me do it. And that's probably why you do it. And let me show you what daddy has done. Right. And if we can do that. And as that conversation progresses and our kids are older and it's like, I I know that you're, you're stuck on drugs. I know that you're looking at pornography. Let me show you where I've, I've had those battles in my life. And I've also seen victory for it in terms of you know the book if we haven't mentioned the name it's don't burn out burn bright um, and what I love about fire is you know fire it can it can burn things down it can burn a house down and it can destroy but a, a fire also is good um, it can bring warmth yeah. and uh, it purifies. can light the way and purifies but um, as we're kind of just bringing the conversation here to a close what does it look like and how do we burn bright and destroy and burn out? Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to just, um,
2: and this is something, again, I think my dad did really well is keeping an eternal perspective. Every, every, every question that that we had, you know, whenever I was a teenager and I wanted to go to a party, my dad would ask me this question. He said, do you think that will be good for you? And it was a matter of what is the future going to look like? What is this going to lead to a future that you want? Or is this going to lead to um, a future that you don't want? And I'd say the same thing for ministry. Are my decisions right now going to lead to a team that I want in two years? Um, Am I maybe manipulating people to get what I want right now, but it's actually going to hurt the ministry five years from now because they're going to burn out? Um, Am I looking good right now at the expense of my future? Am I hiding something right now because it's easy but it's going to burn me further down the road. I think that's so, so important. And we talk about it. There's a chapter in there about leading from a place of values. And it's really a matter of what do I want five years, 10 years from now to look like, not like what's your 10 year plan. Like I'm not talking about achievement. I'm talking about, do you want your church to be a place of peace and of healing and of a team that loves each other and gets along? And what are you doing right now to foster that? And those things that you that you do to foster a healthy environment as a team or as a church are also going to help you have a place of healing and of wholeness because you're going to get to reap the benefits of that. So um, it's not actually in the book except for the, the chapter on values, but I think that's all kind of what it comes down to is, are these decisions I'm making now going to lead to the future that I want?
0: I love it. Well, I would suggest uh, anybody who's listening right now, to grab the book. Um, I listened to it on Audible at 1.2 speed. Um, it was perfect for me. Um, Ooh, nice. 1.2. That's my speed.
2: I got I got 1.25. That's that's like the max I can do for Audible. Yeah. But <laughs> uh,
0: but Jonathan, if we want to grab the book, where are all the places we can get it and how can we follow you and the good things you're doing for the kingdom?
2: Yeah. So uh, don'tburnoutburnbright.com has all the links to where you can buy the book, but it also has a free health assessment. So those 10 pillars we talked about in the book, it really, based on your... It's an anonymous anonymous survey. Uh, You fill it out and it kind of tells you what area you might be most prone to burning out in. And then gives you a next step based on that. So definitely check out that free assessment. But then it has the links there and it has a leader's guide for the book and a self-reflection guide. So a lot of cool resources there. Um, Then if you want to follow me, uh, if you're willing to see silly videos about what... um, mostly American church culture looks like American modern church culture looks like uh, follow me on Instagram at Jonathan Malm I post a lot of videos and a lot of memes there but also some good content too some serious content as well
0: I'm thankful that the algorithm has chosen if you show up a lot right now in my feed <laughs> and so I, I do laugh I think it's a fantastic fantastic episode. we have to be able
1: to laugh at, at ourselves a little bit right that's it yeah Yeah.
2: Um, there's, there's like there's the like there's the like destructive like joking about it or the like this is how we are and it's kind of like out of a place of love I hope it comes across that it's
0: from a place of love (laughs) absolutely it does Jonathan thanks for the book thanks for this time together and uh, we're we're thankful for your ministry yeah for sure thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Life After Ministry podcast if you are navigating a ministry transition or you're in a ministry leadership role and you see a change on the horizon the worst thing you could do is do this alone We have two Facebook groups that are designed just for you. One is called Life After Ministry, and it's a group that offers community and support for those who are in transition. The other one is called The Elder Hub, and it's a resource center for ministry leaders. These communities are designed to give you insights, advice, and answers for your questions. We also have pastoraltransitions.com. And there you'll find articles on everything from messaging transition from the pulpit to what does it actually look like to become a community known by our love in every season. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. Your support helps us extend our reach and communicate this message. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Shalom.